0: Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, sitting in for Laura Byrne, and this week is power sharing in Northern Ireland finished. You could be forgiven for thinking that politics in Northern Ireland was caught in some sort of loop. Power sharing talks at Stormont have been going on for some time without ever reaching an agreement, leaving politics in the North in a state of paralysis. This endless cycle of push and pull between the DUP and Sinn Féin, monitored by the governments in Dublin and London, is beginning to take its toll on the population. The culmination of this was a massive strike last week, where thousands of workers took to the streets in what's been dubbed the largest strike in the North for 50 years. So today we're asking what can possibly happen next? To do that, I'm joined by a journalist and author, and current The Journal contributor Brian Roan, Thanks so much for joining us, Brian. Um, Thanks, Shani. Just wanted to go back to the strike that happened last week. And maybe some of our listeners and readers weren't paying a huge amount of attention. But um, can you tell us who was striking and why it was happening?
1: Well, it was led by a number of unions and unions representing public sector workers. So nurses were on strike, school teachers, uh, public transport, no buses, no trains, schools closing, skeleton, hospital services, road services, uh, around 170,000 people involved. And I think, Sinead, that strike was, if you like, a, a major public expression of anger. So we talk often about the brokenness of politics here, but we forget about what's breaking underneath Stormont. And there is so much pressure uh, on our various services across the board. Uh, Rise at the moment too about public sector pay, Uh, Who's going to pay it? Uh, When's it going to be paid? So I think that strike was that expression, if you like, of patient snapping, people angry, and the people who are trying to hold this place together, making the point that we have no government and politicians are being paid, but the people who are doing the heavy lifting uh, are not getting their fair share of the cake.
0: And outside of that 170,000, which is such a huge number, was there public support for the strike?
1: I think at the moment, uh, the public are so fed up with our politics and so understanding of the pressures that others are under, that there is support for the strike. But, you know, in these things, there's a fine balance between understanding why people are striking and and an actual strike itself. You know, once you start to impact uh, on people's daily lives, uh, then that question of support and understanding it moves and it shifts. But I think in the here and now, uh, people will suffer uh, the the interruption, if you like, to normal life because they understand it is people who are doing the hardest work on our front lines here who feel they're being hard done by. And really, their, their anger is more focused at, at at Stormont and on Stormont than on the workers who are taking these these actions. More strikes planned for for next week by the transport workers. Uh, And you know, when you can't get a bus, when you can't get a train, uh, when your hospital appointment is maybe being shifted about, when the kids aren't going to school, all of that has an impact on family life and daily life. So I think what the public would be hoping for is the politicians get the rack together, uh, settle these pay disputes and get that done sooner rather than later.
0: Uh, in particular, when you saw last week the weather that Northern Ireland had, and then the the road gritters weren't out, so you mm-hmm. can like there's an impact from the second people get up to being mm-hmm. able to even attend the strike was hard for a lot of people. The the pay uh, you're talking about there, what exactly is the the pay dispute about?
1: So it's public sector workers haven't had a a, a pay increase for a number of years, and there's a standoff now, uh, uh, Sinead, because the UK government, uh, as part of a pressure tactic, uh, to get The DUP principally back into Stormont, the other parties are ready to go back in to get the DUP back into Stormont, are saying they will pay this money as part of uh, a wider uh, package, a financial package, uh, some £3.3 billion, that they will make that money available for the public sector uh, pay disputes to be settled. What some people are saying is that having said that money is available, the UK government should pay it now. But... If you're trying to keep pressure on the DUP, what you're not going to do is settle a a dispute of that nature and take that pressure off the DUP. So I think eventually this money will be paid. The wrath of the workers' anger last week was more directed at the Secretary of State than it was at Jeffrey Donaldson. But I think Jeffrey Donaldson is only a comma away from from the next line in that argument and the, the next target in that argument, if you like. But for the moment, the UK government is saying, we've got this financial package, it's about public sector pay, it's about transforming and improving and sustaining public services. It's about writing off the overspend in Northern Ireland. Uh, Some people argue the overspend results from underfunding, but that's a bit of a tug of war, a political tug of war. But what they're saying is all of that, Sinead, is conditional on a Stormont executive being in place.
0: So, where do the parties stand then on the strike if they have to kind of have this balance as well between supporting people in Northern Ireland but then the d u p kind of looking going well this is this is a card that we have to play too mm-hmm.
1: they what what they're saying is they 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 want the Secretary of state they want the u k government to separate the the part of that funding package which is for public sector pay, pay it immediately uh, or make it available immediately so that those pay disputes can be settled. And and then they can discuss those wider issues of the restoration of Stormont uh, and other matters. But as I say, uh, the UK government sees this very much as a pressure moment, a pressure point. Uh, and what they're saying is the money will be paid when Stormont is restored, and not before then.
0: And what about Sinn Féin? What what was their commentary around the strike?
1: Well, they were they were out with the strikers. Many of the politicians were out. Um, on picket lines and at that rally at the city hall, you know, I saw some of them, saw some of them there. So I think basically they they understand the mood of the public. They understand the mood of the workers. They understand that politics is seen as the problem and that Stormont is seen as the problem. And while uh, there is a particular focus on the DUP, the longer this goes on Sinead, uh, they all get they all get uh, painted with the same brush. You know, it's a, it's, 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 it's a blame that spreads. So I think in the best case scenario, we get some movement on Stormont in the next few weeks. That financial package is made available. The public sector uh, pay issues are settled. The strikes, uh, you know, are pulled back uh, and we try to get on uh, and, and, and live as normal again. But that, that, that's a hope rather than a, a solid expectation.
0: Before we get really into the future, just to stick on the impact of, of there being no, no storm. And so obviously we saw the strike and that's, as I said in the intro, the culmination. What has been happening? Like what kind of things have arisen over the last while because there is no mm. sitting government in Northern Ireland?
1: Well, because big decisions aren't being made, uh, Sinead, the, the, the storm problem becomes everyone's problem. So we, we, we hear in recent months the crisis within policing the crisis within our health service, the crisis within education, uh, roads, infrastructure, all of that, all of that stuff. So it's not just uh, a problem that relates to Stormont; it, it, it impacts on everyone, it affects everyone, uh, it gets through to us all. So it is that sense that that underneath Stormont, everything else is creaking and breaking, and and crumbling, and 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 in some cases close to collapse. So that's the urgency of either getting Stormont back or the two governments stepping in and saying that in the absence of Stormont, they will take control of things. That would be the UK government, obviously, uh, in the main, but with that consultative role uh, for Dublin.
0: Yeah, like I, I said again in my intro that like there is monitoring by Dublin and London, but it's very hands-off monitoring. Mm-hmm. And you are kind of seeing that kind of institutional rot set in a bit because it's been such a long time and it's been on a cycle. It's not just one absence, it's kind of multiple absences uh, compounding. You mentioned having a little bit of hope. Mm. What way do you see out of this?
1: Well, the only way out of it in the short term is for Jeffrey Donaldson to move. To make a decision to put the DUP back into the executive and back into, into government. Uh, that, that for him is a huge moment. I, I, I liken it to David Trimble's moment at the time of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, when Geoffrey Donaldson walked away at that stage and others walked away from the agreement. And I think for for Geoffrey Donaldson, and I think we're seeing this in him at the moment, particularly in. The words he spoke in, in Parliament yesterday, we're seeing the pressure now starting to to show in him. Uh, because w- whatever decision he makes, Sinead, he is going to be criticised both internally by some within his party and externally in the widest in the wider Unionist community. But there is a sense, uh, and and I say this with all of the caveats that you need to say to say this around around our politics here in Northern Ireland. There is some sense that with that short deadline being set yesterday of, of February the 8th to try to restore the executive, that is one of two things. It's either the UK government saying to Jeffrey Donaldson, uh, you've got two weeks to sort this out and then we move on, we've got uh, bigger priorities, or it results from a nod from Jeffrey Donaldson of the DUP to the UK government that we're nearly there, we just need a bit more time. And two weeks should get us over the line. If you were to ask me to bet on 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 which of those scenarios shouldn I wouldn't be putting very much money on it. Uh, but I, I think you know, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, uh, I, I'd say there is a, a better sense now from some of those close to this negotiation that there is a better chance of getting this over the line in the next couple of weeks but with absolutely no certainty attaching to that. I, I can remember, Sinead, we thought we had a draft agreement uh, in one of the last standoffs here, and it, Stormont came down in 2017. There was a draft agreement which people thought everyone had signed up to in 2018. It looked like a deal at Stormont on Friday, and by 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 Monday the whole thing had crumbled. So until it's over the line, uh, no one's going to say it's over the line, But 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 I'm saying nothing more than just there being... A slightly more optimistic, better sense of some chance in this latest phase.
0: Yeah, so we had a little bit of hope a couple of weeks ago that faded. So now we do have this eighth of February deadline, where if if it goes to the UK plans, if it goes to Rishi Sunak's plans, you'd have the DUP entering power sharing with Michelle O'Neill and Stormont back up and running.
1: That that's that's the best case scenario, and. Uh, But as you say, Sinead, we've had a couple of moments recently, including pre-Christmas, where the UK government thought they had a deal, where Rishi Sunak was on standby to come into Belfast for a slice of the celebratory cake, a bit like Boris Johnson last time round in 2020. They were expecting some communication from the DUP over the weekend. It didn't come. Instead, there was an email from Geoffrey Donaldson to his party that they're not calendar-led, they're conditions-led, and while they're making progress, they're not quite there yet. So, so we, we, we've we had these moments of expectation recently. I think there's only so many times you can put a UK government on standby if you're a political party here. So Sunak's leadership has been questioned again. You have all that panic in the Conservative Party, the pre-general election panic, uh, the sense that you know, they're going to take some thumping in the next general election. You've got all of the international situation, the boats, Rwanda, the Middle East, uh, the Houthis. So I, I think this February the 8th thing, if Donaldson doesn't move, it will be the UK government saying, we've rolled the dice several times here. Uh, the right numbers haven't come up. We're going to move on. And then what you would see is yeah, is, I was going is, to say, what, what
0: happens next then?
1: Well, I, I think there, there is no magical plan B. Uh, So I think you're looking at a a weak government at the moment, a Tory party in turmoil, a general election uh, pending. I think what you would see is the UK government on its last legs, managing out its last few months, holding this place together. And leaving the bigger mess for for whoever comes next to to try to sort that out now uh, I think and you know this has been said to to the parties in these talks uh, that if uh, there is no executive, then it will be the UK government in a hands-on role uh, with consultation uh, with Dublin. that's not to suggest joint authority uh, Sinead or anything like that but if you go back to the last Stormont Rescue Mission, the 2019-2020 negotiation, Julian Smith and and Simon Coveney, the the two lead players in in that negotiation, it was the two governments uh, in a joint news conference, a joint document, new decade, new approach, uh, that put their proposals on the table at a time when we were having strikes in Northern Ireland uh, by some key workers. And they dared the five parties at that time to reject that deal, knowing that they wouldn't dare reject it. So I call that joint effort and joint work and, and joint enterprise. But the idea that you would have British-only direct rule, that's the past. It's not It's not here and now. I think what we'll have is semi-skimmed direct rule, Sinead. Um, you, you, you know, um, the, the government doing what needs to be done to hold the place together, doing that in consultation with Dublin, hoping then beyond that election if we don't get it pre then that you get a negotiation and an agreement to put Stormont back.
0: What would consultation with Dublin look like? Who would it be with?
1: Well, you you know, there's if you look at the elements of of the Good Friday Agreement, you know, the internal arrangements, the North-South arrangements then the British-Irish arrangements you know, in the absence of of Stormont, really what you have is that British-Irish arrangement. So it would be, it would be you know, with Simon Coveney in 2019-2020, in Micheál Martin is the current uh, minister with responsibility for Northern Ireland. So it's at that level of the two governments that they would be talking about um, how they put this together. Now, Simon Coveney made clear, and Micheál Martin has made clear throughout all of this, Sinead, their preferred option is a working executive at Stormont. You know, every, everything else is, is below what you actually need to, to make this place function. But I, I think there is this other issue at play in all of this, that there is a bit of an argument while the DUP have come out of the executive over these post-Brexit trading arrangements and the sense of the Irish Sea border and some difference now between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Some others hold to the view that the real problem, the real problem is that they don't want to serve in an executive under a Sinn Féin first minister, Michelle O'Neill, who is the first minister in winning. And there's also some thinking that if you wait for another election, maybe you'll reverse that result from from 2022. I think all of that is wishful thinking, Sinead. There is a, a very clear trend now in the elections of this place since Brexit and since 2016, which show things moving in one direction.
0: You mentioned the main players in 2019 being Coveney and Julian Smith. How is the current Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Chris Heaton Harris, doing? How is he seen by the, the other players in this? How is he seen by the public?
1: He's seen basically as, as the face of this negotiation, uh, Sinead, in terms of him being the Northern Ireland Secretary. Is he the most significant figure in the negotiation? I don't think that's the case. And there is all of this talk. Uh, it hasn't been properly defined or, or confirmed, but that Julian Smith, that former Secretary of State who worked with Simon Coveney in 2019, 2020, is a more significant figure in the background of this negotiation and in what's, what's going on within it, and that he is the link to Sunak. Um, so Chris Heaton-Harris, you, you know, early in his, his reign as, as Secretary of State, and in this current standoff, had talked at one point that if we didn't have an agreement by a certain point, he would call an election at one minute past midnight. Uh, we've had many minutes past midnight since then. Uh, and, and when you make a call like that once and you don't follow up on it, uh, you make it twice and you're crying wolf. So I, I don't think... I don't think Heaton Harris is going to be the person that puts this all back together again. You know, from the uh, platform of that strike rally in Belfast a week or so ago, it was said that he was fast becoming the worst ever, Northern Ireland Secretary of State. Now, that's quite some achievement, Sinead. You, you know, we, we, we've had many of them who have been described as the, as the worst ever. Most of them are forgotten as soon as they arrive, never mind after they leave. Uh, there are a few exceptions to that, of course. Mo uh, in the period of the Good Friday Agreement, Julian Smith and his work when he put it back together again with Simon Coveney in, um, in 2020. But, but apart from those two, not many of them are remembered as kind of having headline moments here. So, so I would say Heaton Harris is going through the motions of a negotiation, uh, but I, I don't think he's the person That is going to get this over the line.
0: The big headline grabber, of course, is Jeffrey Donaldson. Is Mm -hmm. he in a position of power or is he backed into a corner?
1: Well, I, I think this is his David Trimble moment. So in 1998, with lots of opposition in his own community, David Trimble had to decide whether to go for the Good Friday Agreement or not. And with support from loyalism at that stage, Sinead, and some of the big voices that emerged in loyalism at that stage, David Irvine, Gary McMichael, people of that nature. Trimble carried the heavy weights of the Good Friday Agreement, and and history will remember him well for that. So Jeffrey Donaldson is in a similar position at the moment. Uh, you know there is this concern about the Irish Sea border, those post-Brexit trading arrangements, and how it's made Northern Ireland different from the rest of the UK, and. And 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 you know diluted, if you like, the britishness of, of this place. So in any negotiation, Sinead, you're never going to get everything you want. Uh, and there's been these talk, this talk about seven tests that have to be that have to be met. I call those the seven hooks. You know, when you're in a political negotiation, you don't hang impossible political demands on hooks. You know, I remember a, a great line from David Irvine during one of the negotiations that you don't leave your opponent without their bus fare home. You know, so there's, you, you, you know, negotiation is not about everything you want. It's, it's about what can be sold across that wider political frame. And Northern Ireland is a changing place. Um, if you look at every election now, pretty much every election bar one since 2016, So the 2017 Assembly election, Unionists lost their overall majority at Stormont. In the 2019 European election, they lost the second Unionist seat to Naomi Long of Alliance. The 2019 general election, the DUP lost a number of their big hitters. Nigel Dodds, Emma Little-Pengelly, they had hoped to win the seat in North Down, and they didn't win that. Through to the 2022 Assembly election, where Sinn Féin emerged as the largest party with Michelle O'Neill, the First Minister-in-waiting, into our local government elections, where Sinn Féin become the the largest party. So there, there, there's a trajectory in all of that, Sinead. There's a pattern to it, uh, and it's about this place being a changing place. The New Ireland conversation is a much louder conversation uh, than it was uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years ago. I'm not saying that you know a border poll's around the corner or a United Ireland is certain, but it is now part of the mainstream conversation. And I think in that trend that I spoke to you about there, Sinead, the other thing is that there is a significant third pillar growing in our politics. So people often talk about this, people, this place as, as green and orange. Neither green or orange can win a border poll. They don't have the numbers. There's a, there's a third pillar there, which is described as other. Now, I don't know anybody who describes themselves as other, but you, you, you know the, the, the pillar is described as, as other, and it's about 20%. That's going to be the balance. In, in the future of this place, that's that that's the critical uh, mass of people that have to be brought on board if you're either going to win a border poll or defeat a border poll. Um, so so I think you know we're in this big moment of change. All of that is playing within the unionist community, and that makes Jeffrey Donaldson's decision that bit more difficult at this time. Sinead,
0: you've you've mentioned. David Trimble uh, comparison yeah. and the Good Friday Agreement time. Does it feel that big while up there?
1: Well, well you see, I, what infuriates me is that I think we've done all the big bits, you know, the big moments, the ceasefires, the political agreement, getting decommissioning, achieving a government that was led at one stage by Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley. And now we're tripping over the small bits. You know, we, we, we've done the big bits of business. Uh, and all of this seems so small compared to, you know, if you'd have said to me on the eve or, you know, a few months before 1994, the IRA is going to announce a ceasefire. It's going to be a complete cessation of military operations. I'd I told you to catch yourself on. But, you, you know, so what, what we've found in this process is when it has momentum, big things can happen. But we've had, of our 25 years since Good Friday, 10 of those years have been without government. Now, if that was a business, it would be out of business. And and my my view about Stormont is that if all we're looking for at the moment is another deal that puts Stormont back together again for it to fall in a few months' time, then we've wasted our time. And I kind of think that what is needed and, uh, you, you know, this is, there is more traction to this now but as people become more and more fed up with the the political stalemate. I think we need a much wider review, which looks at why has politics struggled in the peace? Why has the peace been more successful than the politics? Uh, What is the, the, the institution or the form of government that will work better than what we've tried for 25 years? And I think in that wider review, we also need to look at some other big questions, which are our legacy, our past, and also the question of policing. Because when we get into these moments of political argument and political stalemate, the past and policing and issues like that are the bricks that get thrown in the political glass houses. You know, we won, you lost. We were right, you were wrong. So there is a much, I think 25 years on from Good Friday. Now in this year, the 30th year, 30th 30th anniversary year of the 1994 ceasefires from the IRA, and loyalism, there is a need not just to think about how do we get Stormont back up and running again, which is this phrase that we hear so often, Uh, how do we get it back up and running again and and enable it to keep running and and not to fall at the first hurdle? I think that's the much bigger challenge. That's not what the head of the UK government is at this stage. Uh, They're simply about trying to get this fixed short term uh, and then see what happens next
0: their heads are very much in other places but maybe should listen to uh what albert reynolds used to say it's the little things not the big things brian thanks so much for explaining all that and for jumping in and out of different decades while explaining to us really appreciate it and look forward to your next contribution to the journal thank you
1: thank you shaleen thank you
0: thanks again to Brian Rohn for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by The Journal. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, as always, you can leave a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. It's a great way to make sure other people can discover it, listen and love it as well. Thanks for listening and see you next time.